You're listening to the Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Get ready to be inspired as we explore provocative topics surrounding innovative technologies and ideas with top industry professionals, digital entrepreneurs, and provocateurs. At Impetus Digital, we believe that everything starts with a conversation. We aspire to act as the bridge to not only ignite these courageous conversations, but to also sustain them over time. We do this through our Insight platform, which features our award-winning Insight events and Insight Touchpoint solutions, and through these fireside chats. In the end, our hope is to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Natalie Eden. CEO and co-founder of Impetus Digital, an all-in-one, fully-serviced virtual collaboration and communication solution for online meetings, events, conferences, and advisory boards for life science companies. Hi, everybody. My name is Natalie Eden. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Impetus Digital. At Impetus Digital, we built some of the best in class asynchronous and synchronous virtual collaboration and communication tools. Over the past 13 years, we've worked with life science companies from across the globe, do everything from creating virtual advisory boards, virtual medical education, publications groups, innovation hackathons, investigator meetings. And since the launch of our Insight events platform, We've also been helping companies with large corporate events, sales training, and everything in between. But more importantly, we really believe at Impetus that everything starts with a conversation. And from these big, hairy, audacious conversations with some of the leading edge thinkers, digital provocateurs, and entrepreneurs in the healthcare space, we can all work to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. But it can't just stop there. We need to continue those conversations. This is precisely the reason that we have our online touch points or our platforms so we can really move these agendas forward. So I'm really excited to have one of these leading edge thinkers on a topic that I find fascinating and personally I love talking about. And this is actually Ray Dogum. Ray is actually a senior consultant and a blockchain strategist at Consensus Health. Um, He's also a podcaster, as you can see, from Health Unchained. In his podcast, he interviews healthcare leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, researchers, and all kinds of medical professionals who are working or very interested in working on important projects enabled by blockchain technology. So we're gonna dig into that, find out what this all means. Ray actually has a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering, a master's degree in information systems, as well as an MBA in health sector management. Ray actually hopes to use all of these skills to decipher real world digital evidence and to provide people with accurate and actionable health advice. So Ray also has a a special interest in the management of our aging population and the question philosophically of how mortality is actually being discussed in healthcare systems and society today. Welcome Ray, so happy to have you on the show today. Natalie, thank you so much. That was such a great introduction. And I really appreciate <laughs> being on your show. And um, I'm so glad that you're doing this. I think the conversations that we're having uh, are really important. And everyone kind of receives conversations in a different way. So thank you for what you do, too. Yeah, you um, have had a really interesting trajectory, always kind of in the, you know, the system space and in computers and what have you. How did you ever find yourself 
niching in the medical space and why did you find it an attractive place to land and where you are today? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I actually was, after graduating from bachelor's, uh, my bachelor's degree, I actually was working in the power plant industry, not related to healthcare or digital health at all. I realized at a certain point, like I didn't want to be in that sort of culture or, or industry. And I learned how important through like personal experiences with family and friends that your health is really the most important thing that we can, we can have. It's the more important than money, more important than assets. Um, so I wanted to devote my career to healthcare in some way. And I did think that it would be best to earn my medical degree. Um, so I didn't end up doing that. What I ended up doing is doing some research at a MIT. Uh, we looked at stem cells and, and aging in mice and also how diet affects uh, aging. And through that experience, I gained enough insights into the research industry, scientific research industry, where I realized that there are lots of like incentive problems, lots of business problems in that space. And I had an opportunity to do my MBA at Boston University. So I pursued that with a focus on healthcare. And that's sort of where I learned about all the different applications of digital health and uh, how it can be applied and learned about all the challenges in the United States and globally about healthcare and, and how systems are uh, developed. Um, so that kind of led me to this path. I'm uh, currently, you know, as you know, I'm a podcaster. So Health Unchained is a podcast I started about three years ago. And that has led me to many different conversations and many different ways of thinking about the healthcare system. We all know it's not ideal. Uh, a lot of people like to say it's broken. And you can agree um, or disagree, but there are lots of opportunities for improvement. And that's where I hope to just be that small help in the, with my voice here. I love it. And I'm just curious. So health unchained podcast, probably you're one of the pioneers. I know a lot of people were doing podcasting before then, but it certainly has exploded and you're probably one of the early originators of that platform. What came first health unchained or the gig at consensus health? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your role at that particular, at, at the organization you're in today. Sure, absolutely. And just to fill in the, the gap as well, um, before I started at Consensus Health, I spent about two and a half, three years at a telemedicine company called Amwell. So I was actually there when it went public. Um, I was like serving as a, a technical account manager as well as a project manager. So it was really cool because I was able to help real health systems and hospitals deploy telehealth to their communities. Um, so, you know, that involves many aspects. It's not just the technology, but you have to think about the marketing efforts, the legal ramifications and how to manage all of that, especially when it comes to data and data privacy. Um, so I spent some time doing that. That's when I started Health Unchained, the podcast. So um, I did that in parallel for a while. My new job, my current job, actually, I should say, at Consensus Health is pretty recent. It's only, I've been here for about two months or so. So I'm still um, kind of, you know, learning uh, about more about the industry through the lens of Consensus Health, which is a spinoff out of Consensus AG, which uh, is a larger, very uh, early Ethereum sort of based blockchain company. Um, so to answer your question, it was first the podcast and now Consensus Health. And my role at Consensus Health is primarily at the moment working with 
uh, clients to um, manage their strategy and help them sort of experiment with blockchain, I should say. There are many consortium, you know, consortia in the world that have developed for blockchain. Um, the pharmaceutical industry has a lot of, you know, resources that they're using in order to experiment with blockchain to figure out what use cases really make sense for them. And, you know, we can list over like, you know, dozens of different use cases uh, for the healthcare industry. Um, so we could talk a little bit about that if you'd like. But yeah, for sure. So, so let's, let's double click on that for a little bit. So I think what's interesting here is that, you know, again, a large portion of the people who listen to us are in the life sciences space and they've heard about blockchain. I mean, we hear this a lot, or, you know, a lot of talking heads about it, but unfortunately a lot of people associate it to ledgers and the use in FinTech so the financial technologies and more having to do with like accounting systems. People don't naturally assume that there is a role in health. So maybe you can break it down for people a little bit so they have an understanding about, and, and I think in some ways the reason that people are confused is we oftentimes associate the technology with the currency, so cryptocurrencies. And so we make this association that this really has to do with the exchange of value. Um, you know, from a monetary standpoint. So maybe you can kind of break down for everybody what blockchain actually is. Absolutely. Uh, so, so in a way, blockchain for the healthcare space is more about having a decentralized sort of ledger, like you mentioned, but for, for data that is not financial in, um, you know, inherently. So one of the examples I can think of is like for you know, you have a patient who wants to go to a different provider or travel among, like have, see different types of specialists. Right now, the way the patient's data is stored is primarily through electronic health record systems. And they sort of centralize the patient's data on their records, either at the health system servers or even on the cloud somewhere. Um, so in that way, the patient is kind of restricted to traverse around the healthcare ecosystem, taking around their data with them. There are standards being developed or that have been developed like fire um, that are making that possible, but the storage of that data is basically still centralized around certain companies or startups. Um, so blockchain, like the intention behind blockchain is to create this layer of trust where you don't have to depend on different competitors to you know, formulate a way to um, transfer data amongst different parties. You can have it in a way that it's completely decentralized and basically the individual peer-to-peer -peer, uh, actors can act on themselves and control their data throughout the whole ecosystem. I know I feel like I said a lot there. It's kind of a, a buzzword blockchain ledger, um, but essentially it's about creating trust where there wasn't trust before. And in an industry like healthcare, you have a lot of places where there isn't trust. You have maybe like 15, I've seen like quotes of like 20 to 30% of waste in the healthcare system that is, it's wasted because there is no real um, accountability. And I think if we can develop a blockchain or multiple blockchain solutions that can help address those problems, you can reduce that waste, reducing the overall cost of the healthcare system uh, for everyone. 
Yeah, and so I think just some background as well for people who have been dabbling in blockchain. Basically, it's almost like a, it, it's a, um, a safer version, if you will, of the internet. So what you're basically talking about is using what we're currently doing with electronic health records is we're kind of locking data, but we're only using a segment of the internet and only certain people have access to it, but it's still, it's hackable and you don't really know everybody who has access to this. But when you go into the blockchain, the mechanism of how it's, how it works is through private keys and various other things is there's nobody who technically owns it. It kind of sits in this block and the data is locked and nobody can change and modify it. So when we talk about this issue of trustability is nobody can kind of hack it and change it and modify it and look at it and things without you sort of knowing, you know, with ultimately there's certain players who know it. So there's this infinite ability for interoperability that we've never seen with these systems that we're currently working with, with electronic health records. So with that in mind, you know, we hear a lot also around you know, blockchain, but built on top of this is this concept of Ethereum. And we hear a lot about these ideas of smart contracts, um, Oracle networks, chain link. Can you maybe illuminate a little bit for us what, a, what we mean when we're talking about healthcare and this idea of creating a smart contract? What would be a use case example of that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I just want to say I like the way uh, you explain blockchain as a sort of safer internet. I think I agree with that. Um, and just to add to that thought before I answer your question, uh, the internet can be seen as a way of exchanging content and information with other people over the world. Blockchain is a way of exchanging real hard value over the internet and across the world. Um, and now back to your question on what is Ethereum and what does smart contracts have to do with healthcare? So I do think that Ethereum and potentially other sort of decentralized protocols or sort of smart world computers, um, what they can do is allow developers and communities and organizations to create um, unblockable or unbreakable contracts that are going to run whether you like it or not. Um, that's sort of important in the payer space. So the healthcare payer, for example, right now, every individual or group of individuals might have a policy with their health plan. Uh, so if you wanted to get a certain service done, it would cost this amount of money. Um, and all of those are basically policy contracts written in plain language and get executed once the parties agree that a certain service has been provided or whatnot. So one challenge we currently have in the healthcare system is the um, acceptance of a service or uh, I guess a payment of a service for, for a provider. So I see a doctor, the doctor needs to be paid. I, depending on if I'm in network or out of network and a lot of other complicated algorithms that the health plan and health provider um, sort of agree upon, you know, every health plan and health provider have different contracts. So that service financial asset or the money will get transferred over to that provider. If we can do that in a way that doesn't require humans to sort of, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say approve because I think in the end we will have humans approving it on the blockchain, but what we can do is make sure that it is completely auditable and it doesn't rely 
on a single centralized company or server. We can have a more ecosystem-based smart contract tool or protocol that'll um, manage those contracts intelligently in the back end. Getting to that point, though, will take a lot of time. I don't think we're going to have health plans uh, using uh, Ethereum right away with smart contracts. I will say that they're the largest uh, clearinghouse for health plans is um, Change Healthcare, and they are experimenting heavily with blockchain technology. So that's just something to take note of. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is really interesting, Ray, because <clears throat> I guess what you're really painting here is a really interesting picture of what the future could look like. Sure. So right now, what we're saying will eventually happen is potentially blockchain's ability to replace the mediators, sort of the middlemen. And what sort of middlemen exist currently in healthcare? Well, there's are people like insurance companies, mm -hmm. or or um, you know, or lawyers, or various other administrators and legislators and regulators. So what you're saying is about a smart contract is drug company A says my my product will help you to reduce your diabetes by X factors. There's certain parameters and wearables and technologies that help to determine that and study that and, and measure it. It goes into a system, it enters the blockchain, it delivers those messages to the payer, the person who pays the money and maybe the insurance company. And if the certain things are achieved, i.e. you do what you say you're gonna do with that drug, the, drug, the payer will then pay that, the company for whatever it is that they said. So it could be a future financial model so right now, a lot of companies are just going through these, you know, risk sharing and all kinds of things and just pay us everything up front and hopefully it works. But in the future, it's a, this drug really worked. We actually measured it. The smart contract in the background is there's an algorithm. It's going to tell us the truth and payments are going to be done and everybody's happy. So with all of that said, is there going to be potentially a future for these decentralized autonomous organizations where you know, these, we don't, we may not necessarily have the systems and the hospitals and the manufacturers and other things existing the way they are today with these smart algorithms that you do this, you get paid, you do this, you get paid and everything gets measured by an algorithm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's super important. And I think one of the features that can be also introduced with blockchain is the fact that we can have this auditable real world data, even post clinical trials. So I think in a way that's privacy preserving. So in a way that the patient can share their experience with the drug over years or decades even, um, and send it into a, like an algorithm or a, a model, an AI model potentially that can track that, look at the population overall and how it's reacting to certain drugs, but in a way that doesn't, you know, um, reveal the per person's personal information. I think that's important. And that's one of the promises of blockchain is to allow for this kind of um, social good to happen. Um, yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, super, it's super important. Right? I'm also just wondering, I mean, blockchain just, it promises an opportunity of rope of being able to manage tons and tons and tons of data. And that's right now, currently the scary thing is electronic health records and the systems that we're using. At some point, does it just get, it just gets so blocked with data. What are we going to do with all this data? 
So the question comes down to is blockchain is what is the promise of blockchain, especially as we start thinking about the overwhelming of data, especially if we start doing things like genomic testing or genome testing from the time people are born, you know, being able to put all these things somewhere and then being able to tabulate and measure it over time. Yeah. And I do want to say one thing about blockchain as a technology. It actually is somewhat inefficient in terms of gathering and storing all that data. I think there are um, lots of kind of challenges that we still need to solve with blockchain in order to scale in the way that we're talking about in future sense. I do think it'll happen. Um, it'll be very interesting to watch, but um, we're not quite ready there. Um, in terms of, I guess, what, what was your question? Sorry. Yeah, I, you know, I guess my question really comes down to is, can, you know, as we start to get bigger and bigger with our data sets, like I said, you know, genomic testing, or, you know, mm -hmm. we're really getting heavy into that, especially if we start doing it from really early onset, maybe one day, even when it's in the time somebody's born, and then being able to tap into that and being able to use you as an N equals one or measuring your outcomes or your health based on your base parameters. If we do that for every human being that exists, this, that's a lot of data. So how are we going to delve into it, measure, manage it? And that's I wonder if a, that's the promise of blockchain. So in a way, it's a promise, I think, of AI, more or less. I, don't, I think artificial intelligence will, and when I say artificial intelligence, I'm speaking very broadly, uh, we can get into like federated analytics, federated learning, where you, in, you can do AI, but in a way that is still privacy preserving uh, to the individuals or the organizations or even the researcher who's doing the research can protect their own models. Um, so that's an interesting point. Um, I think it's going to happen. It's a matter of time. Like as we see, technology is quite exponential in that way. It's a really cool thing because then I, as a person, can know what to do on a daily basis to extend my life and feel the best I can and have the most energy every day. I think that's something that a lot of people wish that they had now. Uh, we have tons of apps that try to help. And I think it's all good. I think there's important learnings to be done there. Um, but the actual like fully optimized human being, like d getting that is, is a challenge we're going to continuously strive for um, because it's, yeah, absolutely. there's no limit. I know, that you I know you have an interest in the and I want to come back, obviously, to blockchain, but just as a slight divergence, yeah. because I'm equally interested in the work of, um, of the David Sinclairs and the, uh, the uh, Aubrey de Grays on longevity and looking at this as a disease <laughs> as opposed to, uh, you know, and so I'm just curious about, you know, again, the optimized human I mean, is where, where do you think technology is going to play in that equation? And really in that existential question is, is aging a disease? Yeah, and it's a really tough question that we've been asking ourselves since uh, civilization has started, really, I would say. Uh, and you know, I don't have the answer, but I think um, what's interesting to me is how far we've come since um, you know, the development of vaccines, the development of all these antibiotics. I think we've extended our lifespan by a lot. Can we live forever? Maybe, maybe quasi forever, unless there's the only way you could die maybe is if you have a traumatic experience or if you get, um, you know, your heart stops and you, it can't be repaired. The other idea behind longevity is this idea of the singularity and 
I've asked many of my guests on the show on Health Unchained about this. And the idea there is we might potentially upload our own consciousness in a way to a, a computer or a biocomputer potentially that can live forever. And in that way, the question becomes, is it a copy of us or is it really us? Um, these are really tough like <laughs> moral, ethical questions that I love talking about. Yeah. T to me, it's a question about what is time in general? Because if you look at a human experience, you have this idea of being born and then you live your life and then you pass away. Um, but that is a linear way of looking at the universe. And what we're starting to learn through quantum physics is that maybe this whole experience of life is just something that um, we've become accustomed to and maybe not an absolute way of thinking about life in general. Um, again, something that not a lot of people are really thinking about now, but again, no one was really thinking about computers in the 1950s. It was something that- <laughs> When we start to have robots and everybody doing all the work that we need to be doing, we're gonna have a lot more time to think about all of this existential philosophy and what is consciousness and are we living in a simulator and is this just a bunch of fractals and holograms? So uh, I think it's a very interesting philosophical topic. So I just wanted to kind of bounce back to talking about sure. blockchain. And um, what is really interesting about what you're saying is ultimately blockchain is a really interesting technology in that it enables the whole trust piece. So when we really think about why do we have intermediators, so lawyers, banks, when we start thinking about, again, just basics like fiat currency or even some of the recent cryptocurrencies, we sometimes look at this idea of having a middleman to say, yep, this is actually a dollar bill, or yes, this is a hundred dollar bill. I'm going to validate this and you can exchange this piece of paper and feel confident that it's going to be worth X. So in the future is when we don't have that middleman, we need something that's substantial that will actually allow us to feel trust to somebody. And that's hence the reason of these, these uh, smart contracts. So I'm actually just curious about when we start also talking about when people are getting a piece of this, they're, they're almost taking an ownership. When you're giving pe people a piece of the blockchain, something having to do with them, something having to do with their data, their thinking, whatever, that's encapsulated in some code, you give them a private key. It's almost like giving them the key to their house. You're giving them private ownership. Just curious, Ray, about what your thoughts are on the future of, of ownership, especially as it relates to data, and is there eventually going to be some sort of monetization associated with that? That's a tough question as well. Just thinking about ownership now and private keys, the management of your private keys for your hardware wallet or any wallet is a challenge in itself. If you lose your private key, you've lost all your, your funds. Um, that's a big challenge because although you have techies who are able to do it, no problem, the majority of people don't expect to do that. Uh, they have custodians that help them work through that. Um, you know, their doctor manages their data. And I guess we have to find a way to make it work for them as well. We cannot depend on people to learn how to use technology for it to be successful. We need to accommodate as many people as we can and really include um, you know, everyone in how they understand ownership. The future of ownership in terms of like financial assets, I think it's going to be a challenge. A lot of multi-sig or 
multi multiple signature wallets are are becoming more popular so that you don't necessarily um, need to be the only one holding your private key because if you god forbid have something happen to you all those funds will be lost you might be able to um, have a multiple signature wallet that others can help you own as well um, of course there's going to be some human trust involved with that as well so i think there will be some sort of familiar like family based or friend based shared ownership of digital assets in the future uh, there could be companies just built around that itself and right now a private key you can imagine as like either a passphrase or like 24 words or something like that but in the future i think you might have your biometrics part of your private key um, so that's another thing that i think companies are looking into which is really interesting imagine having you know your your eye your fingerprint um, your genetic signature and your heartbeat um, as components to sign off on a transaction and Ray, it actually brings up a really interesting question based on what you and I were just discussing is that what is real in this physical reality? And as we start to project forward into digital avatars who aren't going to have biometrics is how are we going to identify if that's really you <laughs> floating around on the internet? Well, that's something that we haven't really figured out yet either. I think a lot of people would prefer not to uh, reveal their true selves and just be a digital avatar online. Uh, it's kind of interesting thinking about that kind of world because, again, it comes back to what is life, you know, <laughs> overall. Um, yeah. And the thing is that reality is coming sooner than we think. There are people who mm -hmm. actually have and may not be in the physical reality. They actually have a lot of wealth in places like data center land or crypto voxels. They're actually purchasing real estate online. There's art shows happening and tokenization that's happening and fractionation and you know human IPOs. And so there is a whole other reality that's going on and it's really, really big business. And so I think a lot of people who are living in the today and then the now don't really even know what's actually happening and burgeoning in the, in the background. Um, I, I don't know one, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, one complementary technology that we didn't talk about, but I think will play a really big factor in this decentralized virtual space is VR, virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, believe it or not, VR can really convince our minds that what we're seeing is real in a way. Um, you know, not to the full extent of real, but people are using it and they're going to want to spend time in this virtual reality space. And not only that, it's not a huge leap from what we do now. Right now, me and you are sitting down somewhere in an office or a room and we're not really like moving. We're not running or anything. It's very sit down and look around at things and click buttons. VR is basically the same thing. We're going to be looking around, but instead of just having two, two or three screens or something advanced like that, you'll have your entire surrounding um, filled with, with content and rich information and constantly evolving and dynamic and shared with other people and communities. So that's something to really watch. I think there's a lot of VR applications uh, that'll be happening in the healthcare space. Physical therapy is a big one I could think of now that is tremendously useful, I think, because you gamify physical therapy. I think that could be really powerful. Um, 
and then maybe get rewards through a blockchain tokenized system. It all kind of comes back together. I <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know it, it's just amazing what actually happens in that space. And also your thoughts, I mean, since COVID-19 with all of the impact on mental wellness and mental health, where do you think VR is going to help in that aspect as well? Yeah, COVID has definitely um, shown how you know susceptible everyone is to mental health, especially when they're isolated away from their uh, friends or family or just coworkers. Um, I think even the aging population is a big thing as well, because you have a lot of older people who might not be interacting with as many people that influences their mental health. I think the VR blockchain space um, kind of just makes it easier to interact with individuals in a way that feels more real because it, it would feel more real. Uh, not only if we were sitting in VR right now and I was actually looking like in your eyes or at your face or I'm right now I'm looking at my screen, I'm looking around, but in VR, it does feel a little bit more natural, although I won't see, like, I'll see an avatar of you, so it won't be you necessarily uh, in the, the real sense, but it does feel more real to the person, I think. So, and as soon as um, they add the haptics, the haptic arms that everybody's working on, it will feel real. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> and that's when all the existential questions about where are you really living and what is real. So it's going to... We're really going to have to accelerate, Ray, the conversation around uh, around bioethics and regulation mm. and legislation because the regulations and the way you know we've even just heard recently about the you know the get to you know the big G seven that happened and a lot of the mandates and this you know kind of legacy framework about how the top seven countries think that they're going to dictate legislation or regulation for the rest of the country. Is this an obsolete concept? Like, as we start to think about people living in these new dimensions, is there going to be a completely new foundational way that people will get together and think and ethics? And what, what does it mean to share and not share and ownership and, and what's wrong and right? And I'm just kind of curious, you know, if you think that, that there's almost like a DAO associated with governance and that perhaps even governments inside VR or outside can be managed by a computer algorithm. So a lot of people think the largest country in the world is actually Facebook. Uh, and with many communities within it and different sets of rules that the members must follow if they want to maintain their membership or citizenship in a way in that community. Um, so I think that we are going towards a more uh, borderless governance structure. Um, I don't know when it will be. I think that is the tough questions. Like when will this happen? Uh, because remember the internet is over 30 years old um, at least. And we're still kind of working through all the problems with the internet. So blockchain still has a lot of time to evolve. Um, in terms of how we're going to manage people and how we're going to create laws and so that people can follow those laws and how will we enforce them? These are tough questions. I, I'm not sure. I think that the conversation needs to keep happening, but essentially um, it's going to be dependent on what people want to do. And given the VR nature of things, the virtual nature of things, they'll do what they want to do. Um, 
And there's multiple versions of reality as well too, Ray. I mean, I think this is the thing that's interesting. If we've seen anything in the past year, we could be both looking at the exact same incident and my interpretation of what happened could be completely different than what you saw. Now you actually amplify this by millions and millions of people. So the idea of the smart contract probably just seems inevitable because basically there won't be one standardized sense of reality or one sense of law. There's whatever two or more organizations that say they're gonna do something, agree on a contract, and then they use an algorithm to determine if that actually got executed. Right, like how do we agree on what is true, what is real? I think uh, a lot of people think of Bitcoin as, a, as the only source of real value in the world. Everything else can be kind of th thrown out because there is no decentralized way to prove that it is true. Uh, a bank can maybe, you know, I'm sh there's a lot of laws, especially in the United States, and I'm not really concerned that this is happening in the U.S. that much. Uh, but in other parts of the world, you might have banks or, or organizations kind of messing with their accounting and changing numbers around. That's simply not possible with blockchain. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm also just kind of curious about your sense on uh, where the future is going with healthcare in general. We've talked about blockchain, we're talking about AI. What is the point of care gonna look like? Right now you have to ship yourself over to a physician's office. Now, luckily we've got telemedicine and telehealth, wearable technologies, and we can do a lot of remote monitoring. But what about the future of the car or the home? Hmm. How do you see that playing out in terms of healthcare's you know, point of care? Great question. Uh, I think so. COVID really kind of introduced this idea of telemedicine to the world uh, very succinctly. Like people now understand what telemedicine is. Video conferencing was happening for like, you know, a decade before COVID, and people were not really using it. Providers were wary of it. And when you think about, you know, when you're in an automobile or when you're at home, um, there are lots of sensors that could be put into those devices that can assist the individual to know how their health, their own health is doing. And if they wanted to share that, maybe in a dynamic way, they can give permission to have that data be shared with their, you know, uh, provider, maybe their family even, or their caregivers. I think that will happen. Um, the real challenge will be how do we deliver all that content and rich information in a way that's easy for the humans to digest in like a dashboard sense? Uh, how do you make it user friendly? I do think that major digital health companies such as like Apple, Google are really and Amazon are really looking at this space hard now. Um, it's traditionally been always a challenge to get into healthcare. Uh, but I think that now is become like COVID especially has triggered um, more investment in that space. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of like new devices will come out. Obviously we know like the, the wearables have become much more important in tracking people's activity movement. Like, as we know, just being active can play a huge role in a person's health. The medications that we take can be tracked in a more effective way. Um, and just being able to maybe get alarms and triggers to, to, to do something, to go for a walk, to, to go for a run. Um, those little nudges are extremely powerful, uh, especially when delivered at the right time. 
I think a lot of startups are looking at how to deliver these micro nudges to individuals so that they improve their own health. Um, that being said, I think we have to really think about human nature and we can't, you know, make everyone be healthy. And I think that's not something that we want to do. We just want to give people the option. I think it's important for people to uh, have liberty to do what they want in their, in their lives. And we shouldn't feel like a, a certain AI model knows the best way for a human to behave or act or what to eat. Um, you can have probabilities and statistics showing that it's probably better for you not to eat, you know, two Big Macs a day. Um, but if someone wanted to do that, I think at least in America and hopefully other countries as well, we should allow them the freedom to do what they want. But if they can track it and then maybe they can learn on their own how this might be impacting their health, that would be pretty cool too. Instead of like a generalized model applied to all people, you can have uh, an individualized, personalized analysis of your behavior and uh, the results over years of, of collection potentially. Yeah, I'm 100% agreement with you, Ray, because I think right now we're at the stage where we're just not quite there yet. So we've got these sort of rudimentary wearables. We're starting to get better. We just heard a leak recently that, you know, Apple Watch is trying to eventually be able to measure your glucose, you know, 24 hour glucose from your skin. That's just several years away, but all kinds of things happening. At the end of the day, what we're really trying to do or all these companies are trying to do is collect as much data as they possibly can for machine learning so we can make these really smart algorithms. So we can get to what you're talking about, which is, you know, I shouldn't eat this or, you know, basically my fridge tells me what I, what I should eat or my oven actually cooks based on my potential, my, my chemistry and based on the algorithm, I need to be eating this if I'm trying to lose this. So we're not quite there yet. We're just trying to develop, I think, the data sets. With all of that said, people are concerned ultimately about surveillance. Sensors everywhere, in your cars, on your body, in your clothing, you know, in your home, everything is speaking to you or ambiently taking all of your biometrics. Where do we draw the line? Is there, uh, where do we feel like we start, stop here and somebody start, start somewhere else? Like, where do we find our boundaries? And what do you think privacy is going to mean? Is it going to mean something completely different in the future? This is a really important topic. Uh, I think we should talk about more often. Uh, I think a lot of companies don't realize how important this is. Uh, what I want to say to that is my belief is that building a really smart solution using blockchain technology can remove that sort of barrier or line between um, security and usability or, or you know, information sharing uh, because we can develop privacy preserving technology that lets a human, a person share their information or sensors share information without the risk of any individual eyes ever even seeing it. Um, and you can also control the, the timing of the data. So let's say you want to share something and then later you decide you don't want to share it. Using a blockchain, a really, you know, this has to be architected well. Just because it's using blockchain doesn't mean it's working and privacy preserving. But if it's developed in the right way, it can allow an individual to really own their data even after it's been put out in the open um, in a way on blockchain. So... Privacy is an interesting one because if you think about history, we are constantly just sharing more information. Uh, you know, 10 years ago or even 20 years ago, no one would have ever considered putting almost all their family photos on the 
internet for people to uh, digest and like look at and observe. It was kind of a private thing. You put in photo albums in a little book that when people come over, you can share with them. But now it's something that everyone is very proud to share and they want people to also engage with that content. Same thing goes with money in transactions. Venmo allows people to share their exchanges with people publicly. Uh, that's not something that was ever common back in the day. Uh, and when I say back in the day, I mean like 10 years ago. Uh, but now people are getting more you know, comfortable with that idea. And it's possible that we'll feel more comfortable sharing our own health information too. Like right now, it's very uncomfortable. You know, it's not common for people to share all their health, personal health information with everybody in the world. It's not common. But maybe they will feel more comfortable doing that in the future if the judgment that gets put upon people is reduced. So I think it really has to do with how others may judge you. Uh, it also depends on how others may, how it might influence your ability to maybe get a job or or any of these things that... Um, are important in, in life, right? You want to make sure that the information you're sharing doesn't compromise other parts of your life. But if as a community, we sort of become more accepting of each other and all of our differences, is it possible that everything will be shared and we'll live in this utopian glory filled universe? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not impossible. Uh, do I think it's likely in the near future? Definitely not. Um, but it's an interesting concept to think about. I think we'll be somewhere in between where we'll allow for more sharing using blockchain. We can allow for, uh, the use of that data to, to build real insights, but you know, keep that, um, data private to our own individual selves. We talked a little bit about the new sort of way of looking at value-based healthcare, creating trustability between different sanctions and maybe getting rid of some of the metal middlemen, et cetera. Also curious about your, your idea around conceptualizing NFTs or tokenizing things like data. Uh, we went from the idea of company IPOs to now ICOs and maybe even human IPOs. The ability to create fandom, the stardom, to be able to purchase the income or the health of somebody's future and being able to make money from it, to fractionate it, to sell it. What does that look like? Yeah, that's a, a whole nother world as well. Um, I think it's important to look at what ha what's happening now with NFTs, which are sort of focused on media creation or content creation and how you can monetize that without intermediaries. When it comes to healthcare, there are companies that I've seen and talked to that are using NFTs in certain ways, mainly as like vouchers for a service. So let's say you are an insurance company or health plan and you allow for two dental visits a year, right? So you can have two NFTs that are associated with your wallet and you can go and get these services fulfilled um, by a dentist. And that dentist also has their own wallet that verifies that they provided you with service and here are the details all the healthcare information is put there. And then the NFT, which was owned by you, sort of expires at that point. It's sort of like a coupon or a voucher. Um, other ways to use it is sort of to manage all of your health records as well. So an x-ray can, 
I don't know, I would have to like think through like the application of this, but an x-ray can be thought of as a non-fungible token as well. Like it's an asset um, that has some value to you, but it might also have some value to researchers as well, depending on the context of the health situation. Um, so in that way, you can view a imaging asset as an NFT. Um, yeah, and I think that's there's... actually a really interesting way to look at it, Ray, because at the end of the day, even if they just result in small monetary increments, if it's on the blockchain, the person whose that's health data is owned, this could become the new universal basic income is every time people use your data for whatever reason, you get a token or you owe, you earn money on it. So this is a very interesting potential new financial system that might be lurking and just us existing. Um, I was actually just curious, just on the lines of COVID-19, as things and borders start opening up now, people are out and about, stores are opening, the economies are burgeoning again. What are we thinking about blockchain as it relates to vaccine passports? How are we gonna manage that as from a data standpoint? Yeah, so that is something that people are definitely uh, concerned with, talking about. Um, lots of countries have had projects related to a vaccine passport and um, it, to me, it, it, in a way, it could make sense if developed correctly. I think it's just a difficult idea to actually deploy in, real, in the real world and to have everyone kind of adhere to it. So that's the real challenges for me. I think it's societal change, cultural change in how we, we do that. Um, but it, to me, it makes sense because it's something that can be tracked and auditable and the information can also be used for population health research as well. So you can really know where people are traveling to if they were vaccinated and maybe what batch, what kind of uh, vaccination they're used. And maybe if they were in certain locations where a mutation was maybe um, hap like being spread, th that would be interesting to know as well. So... Um, I support the idea of um, using blockchain to develop that sort of solution. So I think it's a matter of how well it's developed and how do you really deploy it and uh, market it to the people? How do you get people to actually use it in a way that, that makes sense and is privacy preserving? But also, I think that's the key thing here, right? When you talk about vaccine passwords, people don't want to feel like they're giving away some of their private information. Um, Absolutely. And we also learned obviously a tons around the COVID-19 and getting away from just efficiency and just in time inventory to resilient markets. So I was just curious about blockchain and its utilization for everything from supply chain management to managing drug counterfeit. What's your thoughts there? Absolutely. So that is definitely a big use case that um, pharmaceutical companies are interested in and they're experimenting with counterfeiting is a big problem in many parts of the world and this causes an issue because you have patients taking medicines that are either ineffective or they might even be uh, detrimental to one's health so being able to allow a patient or user to verify that their drug is real uh, and verify that it came from you know this distributor from this manufacturer at this date and time um, would really help the, the overall reduction of drug counterfeits uh, all over the world. Um, 
again, in relation to that supply chain of drugs is super important because you have multiple intermediaries that are interacting with these batches of drugs and it's highly, it's a highly regulated industry as well. So oftentimes you have regulators asking questions about the flow of certain drugs timing. So many of those pieces of data are not delivered in a unified or standard way. I think this gives those organizations an opportunity to be more standardized and um, make it easier to audit those, uh, you know, situations and uh, supply chains. Yeah, and I think hopefully as well, Ray, I mean, you know, we are hearing because of all of the cyber attacks and basically ransomware as a service that's coming up. It's literally a 10 trillion, it's going to be a $10 trillion market. It, some people, I think Warren Buffett suggested that this is actually even bigger than, you know, having a nuclear bomb dropped on us. So crypto, sorry, blockchain has all kinds of benefits, but it can also through smart contracts allow for a lot of illegal work. What's What's your thoughts about the cybersecurity issue associated with blockchain? Yeah, so with new technology, you really do need to balance out the benefits over the risks or costs to the technology. Uh, you can argue the internet also introduced a lot of uh, bad things to happen as well. Um, actually, kind of an interesting point to make is the, the beginning of the internet was primarily driven, or the use case for it was, there was a big drive by the the porn industry actually so this is a bit controversial of course but you have um this idea of pornography creating a lot of interest in this new way to exchange media and content all over the world um we're also seeing that sort of thing happening in, in blockchain as well um there are you know protocols that are allowing people to uh monetize themselves in 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 a way um across the world, but they don't have to go through an intermediary. So like an example, like Spank Chain, for example, um, <laughs> uh, I think it's important to look at these use cases. I know it's uh, maybe controversial, but you know, it's happening. We can't just ignore these issues or these, um, these use cases just because we don't like them. I think um, learning from, from them and, and the challenges that they solved helps people to solve larger problems uh, in the healthcare space as well. So you can say cash, fiat cash in paper form allows a lot of people to do bad things. You can say like the internet allows people to do bad things. What's interesting with blockchain and what's really important is, especially with like Bitcoin is it is traceable. So every transaction that's ever been made on the Bitcoin blockchain is traceable. So if there was a ransomware attack, um, and someone paid them in Bitcoin, you can kind of follow the money and see where that Bitcoin ends up going. Um, of course, there's ways to obfuscate that and people try to kind of mix the Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, it does allow for someone to at least trace it. Once you have, if you compare that to cash paper, it's super hard to trace uh, because once that paper moves from one person to another, there's no way to verify that. Um, yeah, so in a way, blockchain, I would say, is, is better equipped to help regulators. Yeah. yeah. 
Awesome. That's awesome. So I think we're at the top of the hour. This is a fascinating topic. I can like oh, literally, we could go down so many different rabbit holes here. I think we covered a million topics just very lightly. So um, we'll have to maybe do another follow-up at some point, but if anybody is interested in speaking with Ray, uh, getting on his show, finding out more about Health Unchained, his podcast, um, or all of the wonderful work that his company is doing um, with uh, Consensus Health, please reach out to him. We're going to be leaving his contact details, so look for those in the show notes below. We would also encourage you, if you enjoyed what we were talking about today, to check out impetusdigital.com. What we actually do is we bring all these players to the virtual table, payers, patients, allied healthcare professionals, physicians. We bring them in through a series of asynchronous and synchronous touch points, having dialogues, discussions, working together, using a whole series of interesting managed tools that we help with so that you can move agendas forward, have these policy discussions, move things forward so you can do things beyond the pill. So we encourage you to do that please like and subscribe so other people can find our information. And we'd really love if you could leave us a review on iTunes as well. We want to thank everybody for their time. Thank you, Ray, for an outstanding conversation and wishing everybody a wonderful day ahead. Thank you so much, Natalie. Really appreciate this uh, conversation opportunity. Thank you for listening to this Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Impetus Digital are the business-to-business virtual engagement experts and provide immersive virtual collaboration and communication solutions for advisory boards, medical education meetings, events, conferences, and projects worldwide, all delivered with our award-winning white glove service. Visit us at impetusdigital.com or book a demo at meetwithimpetus.com to find out more. And visit us on our LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube channel to see other inspiring conversations for you to share with your network.